Hello and welcome to Half Moon's podcast series. Today we will be talking with Mr. Bill Simpson, a geotechnical engineer and regular presenter here at Half Moon. Mr. Simpson founded Gridalta Engineering in 2020, where he is currently a consultant for earth structure pricing and making plans and calculations for optimal structure types and their locations on the construction site. He also works in the education sector, providing seminars and acts as a subject matter expert, creating test prep for the NCEE as professional civil engineering exam. Bill, we're very glad to have you here with us again, as usual, at Half Moon. You know, we were talking a little bit beforehand, and I kind of wanted to ask you, maybe a good way to start would be if you could explain to us actually why you choose to be an educational speaker. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for, for having me, uh, for, for doing this. But uh, my reasoning behind being a, an educational speaker, doing, doing webinars or seminars, uh, whatever the format may be, I was really excited. Uh, the first time I got asked to do it because, um, and then pretty much every time I get asked again, I, I usually take, take the, uh, take the offer just because my entire background has been in, and hopefully my future is in retaining wall design or, or earth structure analysis, um, that, that field. Um, uh, and it, it, it kills me when I see a a wall that's in in bad shape or a, a wall that has failed, whether I was involved with the project or not, <clears throat> just because it, that's a black eye on on my industry, right? And uh, you know, I, I want I want the wall industry to not have a bad name. I, I want it to be, you know, not I don't want people to be scared of walls and and earth structures and things like that. And so I. Uh, you know, try to educate the civil engineering community, the the you know developer and, and contractor community, whoever will listen. Um, you know, in terms of how to do things the right way, try to you know get people a little bit of extra knowledge related to to those types of structures before they have a problem. Um, I've I've had a lot of people that that I've talked to over the years that are just scared of walls. I don't I don't want to do walls or oh I only like this one particular type of wall because that's the best wall or that wall doesn't fail. Um, never had a problem with this kind of wall. And that, and that's, you know, if you've never had a problem with it, then good for you. That doesn't mean you never will have a problem with it. Um, anything that's not designed and constructed properly, uh, you're, you're going to have a problem with it. So um, I guess my, my, thought process in my brain of, of, of why I, I enjoy doing the educational seminars is to, to try to help people have that understanding or at least learn what they what they don't know. You know, it's, it's always helpful to know what you don't know. Sometimes people get involved in things that you're just completely blind, um, you know, a huge blind spot that they may not even realize they have. Um, and like I said, when it comes to walls, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, different uh Types of people involved: engineers, contractors, owners, um, all kind of moving parts there. And so you want to make sure everybody understands kind of what what's happening. And if you can get the wall design done correctly, that's kind of step one. And then the construction of the wall is is step two. Um, and and that's a big part of what I talk about in the in the webinars that that I do. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, obviously it's great to have you with us. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's kind of how I feel here. Working here, we like to get the information out to people. You did mention something about different types of walls. Could you maybe kind of expand a little bit on what different types of walls there are and maybe how you determine what is the best option for different locations? Yeah, so there's, uh, you've got, you know, the traditional rebar, you know, port in place or cast in place type retaining walls, the inverted uh, T-shape or L-shape type wall. Um, you've got uh, different, a bunch of different forms of gravity walls, like, um, like a big block system where the, the units stack on top of each other and they just resist the earth pressures from the mass of, of concrete or, or rock themselves. Uh, you got gabion walls or another kind of old school or traditional type wall system that's just a gravity system. Uh, the more, more recently, but I guess really kind of since the 80s, one of the newer type walls is uh, MSE type systems or modular block in, in GeoGrid, SRWs, concrete block. I don't know. There's a lot of different terms out there for, for those type systems, but the, the GeoGrid type systems and those are um like i said kind of the new kids on the block in terms of wall systems for the most part um they're pretty popular and everybody has seen them i don't think people really understand them or, or may know about the design side of things as much as they would like or maybe as much as they should um i'm trying to think uh, there's a handful of tieback systems you know earth anchor soil nails um you know, that are, they're grouted or maybe they're driven or screwed into the ground. There's a handful of different tieback systems like that. There's a whole bunch of different pile type systems, um, soldier pile or H pile system, sheet pile, um, what a tangent and secant pile walls, um, <laughs> kind of sound like Forrest Gump and his, uh, and his, <laughs> his shrimp, but <laughs> uh, all of these different types of walls that are all things that I've designed over the years. And, um, Kind of the second part of your question, um, how do you know which one goes where? Uh, you know, that's that's some of that is kind of local economy, you know, local economics, because if if you I mean, of course, an engineer can design anything, but if it can't be built, then it's pretty useless, um, pretty useless design. So part of the decision into what goes where in terms of wall type, you know, on a particular project site is what's available in that market. Um, I recently just worked on a project where it was a, a failing wall um, along a, a lake and the owner told me, he said, don't, we, we were discussing different types of solutions and, and trying to come up with what would work and what would be structurally sound, but also visually pleasing, they're visually pleasing because it is, it is on a lake. And so it need, you know, they wanted it to kind of have a natural look and, and, you know, not just be this gray, you know, concrete industrial structure on the side of this beautiful lake. Um, and uh, he also, and, and, and so we were trying to figure, figure out all of these different uh, options and kind of figure out what the best system would be. And then, but then he also told me, he said, don't do, he said, we're not going to consider the traditional concrete poured in place wall because he said, I've talked to a bunch of concrete companies and they're not going to come out here. They're not going to come out to this property. It's too far. They can't get access back there to, you know, to get the concrete. And he's like, so don't even consider a concrete wall. 
um, which, you know, is kind of funny because usually <laughs> a lot of people I've talked with is concrete walls. The first thing that comes to mind, the rebar poured in place type type concrete wall. Um, and this guy was saying, no, absolutely not off the table again, because of local economics that the concrete companies couldn't, couldn't get to the site essentially. Um, so, um, you know, kind of local economy kind of comes into it, what's available where, um, but then also there's a lot of different wall systems that kind of fit different, uh, niches basically, um, you know, fill walls, there's certain types of walls and situations that fit better for a fill wall application where you're bringing the earth in and, and you're, you're filling up a low area on a site to, to kind of flatten things out. You know, there's a certain type of wall system that, that works there. Maybe a reinforced slope, maybe an MSE wall would be the better option there. But then on the other side of the site, you may have a cut situation and in a cut situation depending on how tall it is, depending on the soil conditions, depending on the site constraints and relative location of the wall face to the property line, things like that. You, uh, you know, you could use anything from a, uh, a gravity wall, like, like a Gabian wall or a big block system. Maybe anchors and tiebacks would be considered. Maybe piles would be considered. Um, but of course there's a dollar amount associated with each, each type of wall system as well. So, um, that's I, I love working with with owners at, you know, kind of the initial in the initial design phase to try to figure out really what their goal is. You know, what, what are we looking for? How much money do you want to spend? Um, because, again, each each wall system has a has a, a different dollar amount associated with it and different aesthetics associated with it. And so is this wall going to be visible from the property or do we care what it looks like or not? Um, you know, there've been plenty of sites that I've, I've worked on where uh, there was multiple wall systems due to the different site constraints and, and, and you know, wall configurations. You know, we, we did two or three different, we had a modular block wall, we had a gravity wall, we had a reinforced slope, and we had a, it was either soil nail or, or soldier pile on, on a wall. And, and, and again, that's, that's kind of what fit each, specific location and all the products were available in that in that market um you know so it, it's not a walls aren't usually a one-size-fits-all type situation i mean you can definitely try to force a square peg into a round hole but uh it, it doesn't necessarily always make sense sometimes it, it it gets forced that way because of you know maybe contractor selection or owner preference or something like that but you know, it's, with with the diverse the, the diverse background that I have in terms of different retaining wall systems, I, I usually try to at least talk about each wall location and each wall specifically to figure out what type of system is going to going to fit best. Yeah, that's really interesting. A lot of questions come to mind there. There's definitely a lot I want to get to. Just kind of one just thing out of curiosity. Just out of curiosity, I'm guessing that there's got to be sometimes when you suggest a certain type of wall or a certain material and the builder doesn't want to because of money or something. Uh, what do you, you know, you're suggesting something for like safety reasons, right? This is the best way to do it. Do they ever deny you and say, no, I'm not going to do that, even though you say that's what needs to be done? Uh, yeah, sometimes, yes. It's, it's usually not a safety issue 
um, because anything that you know that that's going to get designed is is you know at least that I'm going to design, and I would imagine any other engineer, it's going to be designed to a design code with certain factors of safety and certain standards. So any design that gets a stamp on it should be a safe design. Should be you know nobody's going to design something that's not safe. However, <clears throat> kind of the the, the meat of the question is, yeah, you, you get that pushback sometimes where I'll suggest, hey, I think this is the best fit, you know, the best type of wall for this situation. And for whatever reason, that's that's not the case. Um, you know, it may be that that manufacturers backed up and they can't produce those block units for six months and, and, you know, but they need, they need the project to get started in three, mm-hmm. um, you know, something like that. Usually it's kind of a supply chain thing or, you know, local, again, kind of local economies. If the, you know, there's only one contractor that can do it and he's booked out for a while or he's out of town or something, you know, then that, then it's like, all right, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to, shift gears and we're going to go to option number two, even though option two may be a little more expensive, option number two can get built sooner. So that's what is the most important is is time at that point. You know, the wall cost may be more expensive, but if it means they can open the building six months earlier, open the road six months earlier, you know, there's, there's value to that as well. So just because, you know, the wall cost or the dollars per square foot on the wall may be cheaper, may be better, you got to look at the overall project scope. And, and again, that's kind of why I, I love working with owners is because, you know, they have that picture. They have that 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 bottom line number, that dollar amount that they understand at the end of the project. You know, they know what they're trying to get a year from now or five years from now, um, you know, and, and where if you're working kind of down the line, if you're working for a contractor or kind of a sub of a sub of a sub situation, they don't always see that big picture or they may not understand the big picture. It may take a while for that big picture to get relayed, you know, kind of down the chain of command. And, and, you know, at that point, you kind of, you know, you already, already lost a week when <laughs> the owner's trying to hurry up and, and, and get construction moving. So, um, you know, that, that's usually the, the, uh, the hold up or the delay or the kind of shift from option one to option two or option three is, is, um, you know, timing, usually supply chain issues, not necessarily safety concerns. Yeah, and then kind of some of the stuff you're talking about there did actually make me think of one other final question on this topic. Just something that I picked up from listening to so many people in construction. There seems to be, from a layman's perspective, a lot more people involved in these processes than you would think. Could you talk about it's one wall that gets finished, but how many different professionals, <laughs> how many different people yeah. actually are involved in making this come into existence? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, and and I think you're right in terms of, you know, a lay person just thinking, oh, there's the wall. The wall builder did it right. Well, no, not really. Um, again, um, I, I love I prefer to work you know, on the design team with the owner's owner's team, with the owner's reps to figure out what type of wall is going to be the best fit. And and a lot of I'm glad you asked this question because I, I thought of something that I should have mentioned a minute ago that goes into wall selection is the soil conditions and the soil properties, the soil strengths. Um, 
sometimes the gradation of the soil comes into play. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times I'm working with the site designer, with the civil engineer, maybe sometimes to help get the wall laid out and figure out where the wall is actually going to go. Because again, there's a dollar amount associated with each type of wall and uh, the location of the wall on the site. It kind of associates it with different types of wall systems that could be utilized. Um, if you have a cut wall that's two feet off the property line and it's 20 feet tall, <clears throat> about the only thing that's actually going to work right there is, is an H-pile wall or, or soldier pile wall with steel beams that get driven into the ground and then lagging that, that gets put in between the beams. Um, yeah, that's a very expensive, probably the most expensive type of wall to install. And if that's okay, then that's okay, right? And the owner's the one that's going to ultimately make that decision. But if that's not okay, and it's, geez, I didn't realize that was going to cost that much. Um, you know, I need that wall to cost half as much. Well, if it needs to cost half as much, let's look at moving it away from the property line. And of course, when you move it away from the property line, it takes up space at the bottom of the wall that maybe was going to be used for parking or maybe used for, you know, detention, you know, stormwater detention. Maybe it's building space. And so you have this balance that uh, that you have to have um, in terms of wall location on the site. So that's where I can do some calculations and design work to figure out the size of the wall or um, you know, the size of the footing or the length of the geo grid reinforcement for, you know, an MSE wall, uh, the base width of a, of a gravity wall so that we can figure out what's actually going to fit within the property limits. So that's that's me working with the site designer. But then in order to do that design and to get an accurate design. I'm going to need some soils information and that's going to come from the geotechnical engineer. He's going to go out and do some borings and do some testing and, and take some stuff back to the lab and test it and give me a shear strength or a cohesion value, a unit weight, you know, that kind of stuff so that I can prepare an accurate design for the wall. Um, and then once we have an accurate design for the specific site conditions, the soil conditions that are there, not something assumed, you know, not a not conservative value or a, a ballpark back of the napkin calculation, you know, we're trying to get it the most efficient system trying to get get a tight uh a tight value there um you know i need, I need that information uh, from the geotechnical engineer um you know then once the wall design gets done you know once it's finalized it's going to go out to bid right and the contractors are going to bid the wall and they're going to turn in their price then the wall goes to construction the the contractors building the wall and then at that point hopefully a big part of um one of the one of the webinars that i that i do i have a very nondescript kind of boring looking slide um kind of later in the in the presentation <clears throat> and i always tell people that I, I i need to add like flashing neon signs colorful letters and fireworks and loud uh used car salesmen you know uh, to, to pop up because it's a very boring slide, but it, it's I feel like it's the most important slide of, of potentially all the webinars that I do. Um, and it's talking about construction verification. So while the contractor's out there building the wall, somebody needs to be there to make sure he's building the wall 
in accordance with the plans. Because if you mm. do a wall design and then he goes and he builds something that doesn't <laughs> match the design, well, what good is the design? I mean, you shouldn't have even got the design done, you know, at, at that point. So uh, if, if the wall doesn't match the plans, then you're not going to have a, a safe condition. Right. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, the inspector, the construction verification <clears throat> engineer, you know, whatever you want to call it, those guys are uh, are key to make sure that the wall gets built. Uh, it gets built properly. And then, you know, there's usually, depending on where you are, what city or county you're in, there's some sort of municipality oversight that's going to have some sort of requirements on the wall. I mean, you know, maybe potentially wall heights or uh, locations relative to the property line, some sort of permit process. A lot of municipalities require an engineer to sign off on the construction of the wall. So that, mm -hmm. that construction. Yeah, that construction verification engineer that I was just talking about, his job becomes even more critical because you're not going to be able to, to kind of finalize the project or the wall um, until you know, close out the permit and get your, your CO certificate of occupancy. You're not going to be able to get that until somebody signs off on the wall construction and says, yep, the wall was built in agreement with the plan. So, yeah, to, to kind of go back to, to answer the question, there's a handful of people that are involved to make sure the wall gets built, you know, correctly. You know, if the owner just hires some random contractor and he goes and builds it in the middle of the night, nobody sees it and he just does whatever he wants to. <laughs> Those are the ones you got to worry about. Those are the scary ones. Uh, probably the cheapest way to do it, at least on the front end, at least on the front end, right? But long term, you're probably going to have to repair that or, or fix it or tear it down and rebuild it. And it's going to cost even more. It's always cheaper to do it right the first time than come back and have to repair it or, or build it a second time. So, uh, yeah, if you're doing it right, there's there's a lot of coordination and, and a lot of a lot of different uh, parties involved. If I didn't work here at Half Moon, I would have never guessed that that many people are involved in, in, in something like this. But I, I have had a little taste of it and I do know that. Yeah, it's a it's a list and to do it right anyways and that they all can get in each other's way too is <laughs> what i find too you know <laughs> they, problematic they, too. They, they can and and that's you know if as long as everybody understands their role i think there hopefully isn't too many people getting mad or any toes getting stepped on um you know usually it's at, at least my mindset is is Let's work together. You know, I'm I'm going to design the wall, but you're going to lay out the site that shows where the wall is. And then a geotechnical engineer, can you can you help me? Can you do this thing that you're good at so that I can do this thing that I'm good at? Then we're going to you know, once we've got a perfect design specific to the site, let's turn it over to the contractor and then he can go build it. And somebody will be out there and make sure he builds it right. So as long as everybody, I think, understands their role. And it's it's clear on the front end. Um, hopefully, there's not too much frustration or or uh, you know arguing um, because uh, you know hopefully, like I said, everything's kind of been defined and here's what everybody's gonna do. Something that I gotta ask you about. I can get how you can put a wall together from scratch. Uh, you can move things around as you need to. You can prep and prepare. Once the wall is built, however, I'm curious as to if it is damaged, 
how you go about fixing that. It kind of makes me think of uh, like if you put too much of something in a recipe because certain elements are in place, they seem like they'd be much more difficult to deal with or move around or fix. So retaining walls, are they ever managed? If not, is it something that someone just can, can you just tell? Is there signs of how to tell if it's starting to fail so it can be fixed before? Uh, yeah, so uh, you, I guess I, I was kind of thinking about something funny when, um, when you were talking about putting too much of something in the recipe and then it's, it's kind of unfixable at that point. But the basis of your question, however, or, or the recipe, the wall recipe is uh, done incorrectly, it's usually not on the, the side to make the wall better, right? It's usually <laughs> the opposite where you forget to put the sugar in the pie right and, and it's it's gross and, and you know things are messed up and well, nobody's usually ever adding reinforcement or using you know a, a, a better backfill material than 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 was designed so um so to answer your question um there are there's a lot of ways to fix walls yeah uh, and and it's and it all depends on the type of wall um because you're, you're, you're not going to be able to fix a gabion wall in the same manner that you're going to fix a cast in place wall. Mm-hmm. Um, just due to, you know, you got solid concrete with rebar in the middle of it for a cast in place wall with a gabion wall. It's a bunch of rocks that are in a, a, a chain link fence cage, essentially. So it's, it's going to, you're not going to be able to really attach things or kind of hold things in place in the same, in the same manner. Um, so each repair is somewhat, uh, you know, site specific and, 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 and wall specific. Um, a lot of repairs that I've done involve some sort of tieback system, uh, anchors or, or, uh, whether it was a, a grouted soil nail type or a plate anchor type system or a helical anchor or something like that where you're kind of screwing through um, or drilling through the wall to uh, provide additional tie back or you know essentially forces to hold the wall in place once it starts moving um, if it's a, a large-scale failure um, uh, if it's a kind of a localized failure if the you know the blocks fall off the face of the modular block wall, then, you know, that's a different type of repair than, you know, a large global, you know, huge, large scale uh, circular type slip, you know, for, for something that's taken up hundreds of feet. Um, So it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a different uh, approach to the repair, depending on wall type, depending on failure mode. Um, Because, yeah, if there's not enough rebar in the wall, like you say, you kind of leave, leave that out of the recipe, <laughs> leave the rebar out of the recipe for the concrete wall, then, uh, you know, that's a totally different fix than if there is enough rebar and the wall, maybe the soil that was used behind the wall or below the wall was not at the appropriate strength. That's, you know, going to cause a different type of failure. And so you're going to have to repair that failure in a, in a different manner. Um, it, uh, you know, sometimes though you have to completely start over, 
Um, you have to take the whole wall down and then, you know, remediate the foundation or the backfill or use a different wall type. Um, a lot of times with um, uh, timber walls, you know, uh, wood timber walls, a ton of those were built. I don't know whose idea it was back in the 70s and 80s to build a whole bunch of walls out of wood. Um, put those things right and you know just deteriorate fall apart all the time and um, you know big kind of repair technique for those is to essentially just bury it just put concrete in front of it leave the timber there let the timber to kind of continue to deteriorate uh, there will be some of course decay over time and the, the ground surface might <clears throat> might uh you know, it might end up with a depression or, or, or some uh, settlement of the soil behind that as that wood continues to deteriorate over time. But a lot of times it's the cheapest option, you know, as opposed to trying to rip everything out and dispose of it. And, and you know, so, again, sometimes it's just let's just bury it and ignore it, kind of pretend like it wasn't there, <laughs> you know, as opposed to trying to, you know, put a Band-Aid on it. And, and then you got this ugly eyesore that's attached to the wall that you can tell, hey, it's mm-hmm. Why, why is that thing there? That doesn't look right. That's weird. Is this is this a safe? Are we still safe now? Yeah, it's just kind of creates a lot of questions when you have these anchors attached to a wall that maybe weren't there originally. So you have a retaining wall. Is there maintenance on these, or do you just kind of wait till it starts to crumble and falls, or do you can you tell? I, I got excited about repair technique. <laughs> I forgot to address that part of your your, your last question. Um, yeah, so there are things that you can kind of look for. Of course, if there's cracks in the wall, um, you know, if it's a concrete type wall, you know, with a with a solid face, of course, if there's if there's cracks, then then in in the wall itself, then then that's a problem. Uh, if it's a modular block type wall, and you, and you have gaps in the block, you know, as things are you know moving, because um, Obviously, you know, it should have, the block should have been placed right next to each other. And then if a month or a few months or a year goes by and now you have gaps between the blocks, uh, then something's moving. Something's not working right. Um, other things you can look for, like if there's like cracks behind the wall, up above the wall, um, that could mean the whole wall system as a whole is sliding or rotating. If there's a bulge of soil. Um, down at the at the bottom of the wall, that could also be part of that rotation or or slip or slide that's happening. Um, of course, settlement uh, is is an issue. If if things are moving down relative to everything else around it, then you know that's one thing to look for. Uh, and then it, water, if if you've got a lot of water on the wall face or maybe at the toe at the at the base of the wall, that Usually it's a sign that if, if something is hasn't moved yet, something's probably about to move and, and you're going to have a problem if you've got this uh, this water that is uh, kind of, hey, where did this come from or, or why is this here? Um, you know, that that could, could lead to problems as well. So a hand, handful of things um, in terms of that that to look for when there, I guess, potentially could be a problem in terms of maintenance. There's usually not really any maintenance when it comes to a concrete or a, a stone type wall um, 
I don't know if this is technically maintenance, but monitoring of critical structures is is relatively, uh, you know, encouraged or it is encouraged. I don't, and, and that's one of those things where, you know, I worked on a project that is a 60 foot wall for a hospital. And, you know, before they built the hospital on the wall, they wanted to monitor the wall to make sure everything was good. You know, is 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 it moving? Is it settling? Is it coming out or, or going down? Let's watch it for a little bit before we start building on top of it. Um, or if the owner buys a piece of property and there's a big wall holding up, you know, a series of townhomes or, or something like that, it's like, well, I want to keep an eye on this wall. I want to, I want to watch this wall, you know, every quarter, every six months mm-hmm. and make sure it's not moving or, or see if it is moving. And because if it is moving, then we've got to figure out how to hold it in place. You know, we've got to, we've got to make it stop moving before the building, you know, ends up at the bottom of the wall. Um, and uh, so there's uh, monitoring that, 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 that goes on for sure. Um, I don't maintenance is really more of a term or a procedure that you would see on on uh, embankments or slopes. Again, something mm-hmm. that needs to, probably needs to be designed if it's at a certain angle with certain soil conditions and things like that. But um, with those type systems, especially vegetated systems that should be vegetated, <laughs> you got to make sure it vegetates. If it's supposed to be vegetated and it hasn't vegetated, then you're probably going to have some erosion problem and you might actually have some issues related to the reinforcement. If the UV from the sun gets uh, on the, the reinforcement or the geosynthetic materials longer than, than, than it should, uh, because the vegetation is not there to, to protect the, the geosynthetic material. So, um, and then of course, once the vegetation's there, you got to maintain the vegetation, make sure it doesn't get too crazy. And, you know, are you going to mow it? You going to weed whack it, you know, how are you going to take care of that? Um, so sometimes the maintenance is what most people would just consider landscaping because they don't realize that this is a, an engineered slope mm-hmm. and, the, and the vegetation is part of the stability of the, of the structure. So it's, uh, like I said, kind of maintenance is, uh, kind of, I, I don't know that I've heard that word yet. It's kind of a funny word. Cause again, it's kind of basically landscaping a, uh, uh, an embankment or a slope um, when we're talking about maintenance of, of earth structures, I guess you'd say. Just a couple more questions, Bill, and then can, can kind of wrap things up. Connected to what we were just talking about, what would you say is the most common cause of retaining wall failure? Oh, man. Uh, I think that's an easy one. Um, And and I I make a big deal about this. I I would hope that anybody that has attended one of my webinars could answer this question. I don't know. So if there's any previous attendees listening, I think they are probably shouting out the answer right now. But uh, unaccounted for water is usually um, the death of anything civil engineering, not just retaining wall, but it's it's kind of that surprise water that you weren't expecting um, that that is is going to mess up your your site your wall um, so it's not just regular water I mean if you if you know the water's going to be there if you're in a pond or along a, uh, a stream or on a, you know on a lake something like that and you know where the water is 
and the water's where you think it is and it's where it's supposed to be and you can design for that then everything's good it's kind of the the surprise water um that for some reason was unaccounted for in the design it may be natural water again maybe a pond situation that for some reason the uh the the water fluctuation wasn't accounted for um it could be um most commonly though it, it's a it's a pipe issue and it's a pressurized water line like a, a force main or a, like a fire line or a sprinkler irrigation type system um, water line something like that that is behind the wall and it ruptures and at that point you've got a an infinite amount of water at the, you know, until it gets turned off but usually it's too late it kind of goes back to one of my previous comments about the water at the wall face or below the wall it's like wait a minute where did this water come from um you know at that point it's it's probably too late uh but you might be able to at least get the water turned off and and um you know handled before catastrophic failure occurs but at, at that point usually um the wall stability has been compromised usually something's moving and um you know you, you gotta you gotta deal with that so um I would say the most common cause is, is that unaccounted for kind of surprise water. Number two, I would say is unmonitored construction. Um, just because at that point, again, it could be anything. Um, it could be no reinforcement, poor compaction, uh, improper reinforcement at the, at the wrong location, the wrong strength. Um, you know the the foundation could not have been you know maybe it's not prepared properly um you know and and then that's number two if you'd asked me that question probably 20 years ago i, I probably would have said improper construction just in general because <laughs> back back then people were just kind of doing whatever and nothing was getting monitored nothing was getting inspected and then the wall falls over and it's like you know well, of course it fell over you know you didn't you didn't follow these plans at, at all. You know, did you even look at the plans? And it's like, well, I, you know, it's like, why'd you get the plans? Well, I got the plans because I had to get a permit before I could build the wall. And it's like, well, the plans are to tell you how to build the wall, not to, you know, the sole purpose is not to get you a permit. It's to tell you how to build the wall. Um, and so uh, a lot of municipalities across the nation have realized, oh, geez, it kind of goes back. I mentioned this already, but you know, that construction verification in, in the municipalities requiring an engineer to sign off on the construction of the wall. Um, and so there's been a huge, huge uptick all across the nation, um, you know, for, for, for that service and for those um, inspections and that verification. And so now that's why that's not as common because a lot of places you kind of got you got somebody watching it, making sure that there's a design done and then it's getting built according to the design. So you don't see that too often anymore. Uh, but like I said, about 20 years ago, that was you'd go look at stuff and it was, you know, you designed a concrete wall and they built a modular wall. <laughs> you, you know, I've seen plenty of times that the reinforcement for a modular block wall installed sideways. Um, you know, not not installed in the even in the proper orientation or uh, no reinforcement installed. It's like, well, what did you think 
this meant on the paper? You know, it's like these lines right here. This is the reinforcement. Why did you not put that in? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know I was supposed to do that, <laughs> you know? And so if you got somebody out there that knows how to read the plans, that's kind of a third party or, or a lot of times it's even the, the wall design firm, you know, is, is out there. They're the ones that know the plans the best and the design the best. So it's a lot of times it's that same firm doing the design and the inspection. Um, you know, but they're out there making sure everything kind of kind of goes goes in as it should. And um, so a lot less problems with kind of that number two. I'd say at this point, there's probably a big gap between the surprise water and the poor construction practices now. All right, Bill, thank you very much for being with us again today. Um, remember, Bill will be on our half moon schedule throughout the year. So please be sure to look into taking a class with him. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to us and we will be back again in two weeks with another episode of Shop Talk.